Welcome to our Spiritual Resilience Podcast with Reverend Rich Taffel, a transformative leader and executive coach in areas of public policy, social change, and spiritual entrepreneurship. We understand that today's life and social challenges require a more holistic approach, including spiritual tools, thoughtful dialogue, and of course, community building. Join us in the conversation. So today I wanted to talk about boundaries, and I'm really grateful for Sydney for joining me. I want to share a few of my thoughts on the topic to get us started as a context. So to be a follower of Jesus means that our highest calling is to love our neighbor. Only when we do this can we say we really love God. So our time here on earth is to be used in service to humanity. Jesus teaches us again and again in parables and in action that we are here to serve others. You'll remember just during Holy Week, his last act with his disciples, he washes their feet. The message is to be humble, to serve others. Jesus even goes as far as to challenge us to love those we don't like, even our enemies. Being loving and in service to others and being humble to serving humanity. But when do we stop? In a world with never ending problems, if you hang a sign outside your door that says, I'm here to help, you'll have a line coming to see you. In a country that's been suffering through a pandemic where people often can't get counseling, or even their most basic needs met, the demand for help only increases. Does God ask us to be empathetic and compassionate with no limit on to who we serve and how we serve? So many of us in the social service sectors, teachers, health workers, therapists, coaches, and pastors truly enjoy serving others, but they ask, particularly when they're with each other, where does it stop? Uh, I know this has been a challenge in my life. So when uh, we were asking for topics on sermons and someone mentioned it, I thought this would be a good one for me. Um, if you know me well, I tend to be a bit on the workaholic side. I'm always responding uh, to the next challenge. I, I try to stay on top of things. Um, and there are times when I just have to stop. I can't do it anymore. Uh, that's a well-worn pattern with me of, of you know, working too much. And it's very common for people to say to me, Rich, you need to take more time off. You need to stop doing things. And then almost literally in the next breath say, but before you do that, I need your help. Anyone in the helping field knows the dangers of helping people too much, so much that you can enable people. They can become dependent. Um, for example, if a person who told us they had an addiction to alcohol asked us, hey, help me out, give me a drink, we'd know pretty clearly that that's not helping, though it's what they're asking for. And it gets more complicated. Um, just for example, in DC, on my walk from where I live to the church, 
is uh, literally a gauntlet of homeless people every week. And as a pastor, to be really honest, I feel quite guilty. I walk by, um, now it's familiar people with familiar signs uh, there every day, and it's sort of overwhelming and you're never quite sure what to do. And you ask yourself, now, if I do give the gift, if I give some money, because give a little money, wouldn't be a big deal. Are you really helping the person involved? You don't really know. Um, are you alleviating your own guilt for, for not doing it? It's very hard to figure out what's the right thing to do and um, should I just help all the time? Where do we draw boundaries? What's fascinating in the gospel stories that we read today was that Jesus often slipped away from the crowd to rest. He often told those that he healed, please don't tell anyone. And people always ask me, why did Jesus say that? I think he was trying to create some boundaries for himself, knowing that as soon as everyone knew he was the healer, there would be no end to requests. In the other story from scripture today, he's very dramatic in telling the disciples, uh, know your boundaries in a sense. If you go to somewhere and you're not treated well um, in certain texts that says, you know, take the sandals off your feet and whack them together and get the sand off them. Here, today's text said, just get the sand off your feet. But the point is sort of a dramatic, like when you are around people who um, are not respecting you, get away. And not even the sand from the being with them should be with you. Get rid of that stuff. So it's a very dramatic text um, to take your sandals, whack them together, get the sand off and leave. That's quite a boundary. And then in other places, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And of course, we all know that God in the creation story, symbolic story of the seven days of how the world was created, but it's very important that on the seventh day, God rested, creating what we now call the Sabbath. And teaching us, I think, to create boundaries. There's days of creation and there's days to relax and worship. Uh, I've always found it ironic that of all people, pastors uh, work the hardest on the day that they teach people should be the day of rest. Sort of a paradox. G uh, Swedenborg has some interesting teachings on this. And he stresses that love is always married with wisdom. The two must come together. If you just love without being wise, you can actually do damage. If you're just wise, but you have no compassion, that doesn't work either. It has to be done together. You have to show compassion and you have to marry it to wisdom. But what, what is wisdom um, in this topic? You know, for many years, uh, people have asked me for help. Um, I've learned a couple things. Um, one, and I learned this really through coaching, which I think Sydney will appreciate because she's a, she's a great coach, but the, the uh, people would start to tell me their story and their problem, and I'd immediately jump in with a solution. I'd want to help so bad. I've learned to stop and just say, how can I be most helpful? And very often, the solution that I intuited isn't something they're particularly wanting help with. So it's a way of creating a boundary, just finding out what people want help with. It's not necessarily what you're deciding would be good for them. Um, another thing I found out is, is uh, for me, is 
trying to hold on to your time and keep to your own schedule and not just constantly uh, adjusting to others. Um, I love supporting young people. I love mentoring and guiding, but it can be overwhelming. There isn't a week that goes by that a younger person doesn't say, you know, Rich, can I pick your brains? And I, I really hate that phrase, can I pick your brains? Because um, it's just really like, I, you know, I'm, uh, I, I don't know that they particularly value my time, but they, they want ideas and I, I want to help. But what I have learned, I've often just said, hey, if you can meet me here or you can, you know, do it on my time, um, I could do it that way. And very often, I would say at least half the time, people say, no, thanks. I just want it now. So they weren't really valuing my time. That was, that was something I've learned. Um, the third is um, that I'm puzzled with, and maybe Sydney can help elucidate a little bit, is the role of money. Um, in my coaching practice, when I'm, people are paying me, they show up on time, they do the work, and it's, it's very uh, accountable. But very often people say, hey, I can't afford it, and I understand that because I've certainly been there in my life, and people have done free services for me at those times, so I like to pay it forward too. And, um, but it almost never works. When, when the money that they, they show up late or they don't follow up or it is, that, that's a very interesting transaction, uh, maybe from our capitalist culture that if it's money, I'll value it. And if it's not, I won't. Uh, that might be too bad, but it's an observation that I've noticed. Um, you'll notice in my solutions that I, I don't often say no. And I really admire people who are good at that. I really do. Um, very often I'll wait until I'm taken advantage of or even disrespected before I'll finally stand up and say, you know, I'm done and even be getting angry. And I think if I had earlier just said, no, I don't, I can't do this. It might've worked out better. Uh, Brene Brown, someone, uh, an author who I quote frequently, I'm a big fan of, said, when we fail to set boundaries and hold people accountable, we feel used and mistreated. And I would say that's definitely true in my life. And that helped, that makes it difficult for a spiritual development. So boundaries are an area that I'm working on. Um, I'm being, um, I'm talking to you and thinking out loud about ways I'm working on this. And so you might have some guidance, but I'm really grateful for Sydney, who um, is a professional. And I was hoping that she might have some advice for me, for us, for all of us. And so I'll start with a discussion with Sydney now, and then we can open it up to questions for her that you might have about boundaries in the discussion time after the service. So Sydney, let's make sure, yes, you're off mute. Great, okay. Are you ready, Sydney, for some questions? I'm ready, I'm ready. Okay, any reaction to anything I said so far? Sure, so, so I just wanna remind you what you told me many years ago that you were doing when you were going to a homeless shelter, you were helping people get their IDs. Yeah. That's a great example of really helping somebody so that they can move on with their life. So I, I wanted to say that also. And then saying, saying no is, I think starts, like you say, sort of in the beginning of a relationship. And so maybe we can go back to that after some more questions, but it's complicated as you say. Yeah, that's a good point. I enjoyed, I did a, for years, I volunteered at a program for the homeless where you would help them get their driver's license because without ID, they couldn't get any public assistance. They couldn't get anything. They didn't exist. 
And um, that was a very powerful, meaningful time because I would have to call like to their high school in North Carolina um, or somewhere else to get a transcript to prove they existed. So yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Um, um, you know, maybe, maybe uh, I, I did, a, did a better job than I thought. Um, so let me ask you, so during this pandemic, uh, you and every therapist that I've talked to, your client base has skyrocketed. I know for you, you're doing calls from morning till night. And um, how, how do you have any secrets in your own life where you've created boundaries for your own work that you've said no, or I can't do any more? Or you know, do you have anything particularly coming out of this pandemic that worked for you? I, okay, so I think, I know this is gonna sound like I'm not answering your question, but I think the most important aspect of all of this is self-care. And so, and you also mentioned, Rich, that, that you kind of get to the point where you're angry mm -hmm. and, then, and then you can say no. So what, I, what I've learned is that self-care has to be the main thing I focus on. Mm. And so then I'm able to, to be there for other people many more hours than I thought I could be. Mm. And I, I've uh, there are many people giving workshops. I also give workshops in Nepal on self-care and things like this. So this is, but if we, if we don't get enough rest, if we don't have good boundaries, if we don't kind of comfort ourselves all during the day, doing something for ourselves, then we don't have much to give, right? And so one of the workshops I just took, I love her work, her name's Mary Jo Barrett. And she was talking about, which I think this is very common because she works, she has an institute in, in Michigan, I think, and she does a lot of training and she works with gangs and prisoners and families. And she said, she said in the beginning of the pandemic, she was good, right? She was at home with her family. She has her home office. And she wasn't having to get on planes, run around the world. But after about three or four months, she started to eat and drink too much. Mm. And so then she started to catch herself. And so it really made an impression on me. She, she talked about, she loves, I'm just using her as an example because I do similar things. So that's why it resonated with me. She, she loves color. So in her office, she has a lot of color. She likes, she lights candles. Like you, you had us light a candle this evening. She has candles, flowers. And then she said, when she goes to get a glass of water, she gets a particular glass that happened. She showed us it was cobalt blue and she just really loved it. And she has a special coffee cup. So just special small things that we can do to help ourselves feel comforted during these long days. And also, of course, taking enough breaks and getting enough exercise. And I think it's really important to say no. So I'm thinking about when you were, you walk past the homeless mm -hmm. people. What, as a social worker, what I was trained was that there are services for them and they should go get their, you know, help them get services, right? Because that but right now there aren't enough services for people. So it is, it, it's, it's really difficult right now um, to say no. 
but but I get but again I think it's it gets back to doing what if we're if we're taking good enough care and we're centered then we know what feels right to us and then we know what to do does that make sense it makes a lot of sense what i'm hearing you say is start don't start by practicing saying no start by practicing saying what do i need to take care of myself and then let the things that are coming at me that don't fit into that, they, they just won't fit. They won't fit into the container because if you start with sleep, exercise, the, the rituals that you described that that woman has created, um, then it's fairly easy to say no because you've taken care of the priorities. Um, and I know that um, this is uh, you know, there's an interesting passage that came to my mind when Swedenborg was asked, uh, he was writing about wealth, which he said, it's not as, it's not as simple as it sounds. He said, if you're, if you're not wealthy, if you, if you have wealth, you can also be in a position to do a lot of supporting of others because you're in a safe space and you can reach out. If you're in a space of scarcity, you're not in a position to be as helpful to others because you're anxious about meeting your own needs. So, um, that's a different way of looking at it. We kind of, I think, idolize the, the, the person who's living a vow of poverty and giving everything away. But what I'm hearing is begin by getting clear what it means to you to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. your prayer. And, and that fits into the Sabbath, you know, having a prayer life, um, having a day where you're meditating prayer, focusing on uh, the important things. And then you'll be a better person when you are helping too. That's and right. probably not end up like I was saying, sometimes you can get, you can get angry and frustrated with people. So, so. so one of the rituals I have is every morning I get up and I make myself a cup of chai tea and I sit really quietly and just contemplate prayer, pray. And when I have time, which I try to every morning, meditate before I start my day. The idea being those of us that, you know, have to put on, get dressed to go out to work. We do all that, but often we don't take care of our inner lives first. Mm. Yeah. Uh, starting the day with prayer, uh, meditation, um, whatever ritual that is. There, but I'm hearing a lot about having rituals of self-care and soul care, you know, taking care yeah, of your soul care. That's right. That's beautiful. Um, okay. Next question. That was a fantastic answer. That's you flipped the whole dynamic. That's really okay. Um, next question, Sydney, is um, you're dealing with um, people at their saddest moment very often in your business. So they're telling you, they're not calling you to tell you, hey, everything is great. I need, you know, and maybe in a coaching relationship, it's more like that. But in your case, um, they're lonely, they're depressed, their relationships are breaking down, they could be suicidal. Um, it's just, it, it could be a, a, a whole day of, hour after hour of sadness. Um, in spiritual language, you could even have people suffering in the hells if you want to use that language. So it's a, how do you avoid getting pulled into that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then there are some other strategies also. In the beginning of the pandemic, typically the clients I like are the ones who can change. Right. But some people can't right now. They, they don't have enough money, just the things you said. So 
I caught on pretty quickly that I'm just helping people survive. Oh, okay. Right. And that I may be their only contact in the week. People are so isolated. And so I just, I listen a lot and I have to be very careful because there's not much I can say that's, that's positive. But what I try to do is have variety in my caseload. So yes, I have those clients, but I also have younger clients who are trying to get on with their lives and, and do have energy and resources and can, can, they're anxious and they're scared, but they, but they can do things. So I think variety is really important. Not to, not to, like, I don't think I could, at this stage, I don't think I could work with just the homeless, right? Um, but I think, for instance, when I think of the homeless that you walk by every day, it's the systems we need to change. And I think that, and I do believe they're changing in this country. And there's a book that I read when I was just starting the work in Nepal called Blessed Unrest. And what the author talks about is that each of us does our part. Together, we, we make significant change. And that there's more, there's more change happening on grassroots level, under the level of government, than most people know. And communities are being very successful in solving some of their own problems. So that kind of lessens my burden, as you will to know that I'm doing my part. Yeah, that's a big issue uh, in our um, spiritual entrepreneur cohort. We, we've been having a discussion about systems versus symptoms. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of systems change. And, uh, but it is difficult when you're dealing with someone right here with you. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, what, I, what I take away from what you just said that's important for me to hear at least is one, um, be very realistic about the situation. Some people are literally surviving. And so your expectations change for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Other people are uh, on the break and the verge of thriving. And that's a different expectation. If you can mix that energy up a little bit. Um, in other words, if, if everybody is just surviving, it's hard not to get pulled into that mm -hmm. mindset. Mm -hmm. But if you mix it up with a thriver and a survivor, and it must be uh, years of work and wisdom that you now, you probably can identify very quickly, as you said. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember at one point we talked during the pandemic and you said that uh, some people were, had moved from like once a month to twice a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and that just sounds, you know, the, the intensity that you're it's now- intense, really, yeah. It's intense, you're really in their life. Like you're, yeah. you're Monday and Friday or Tuesday and right, Thursday. Right. And so you know what happened in a couple of days. That's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. um, Which is usually, for them, it's usually nothing. Right, right. Um, next question was something I had mentioned in my comments, which is um, how do you know when you're helping and, and when should you be aware of enabling? Okay. The, you know, the difference between enabling somebody or truly helping them. What are the, how, do, how can you tell the difference? Okay, I think one of the things is it's what, what you, you also alluded to earlier is respecting my, my time and my boundaries. And so 
when people when people are able to keep their appointments, you know, keep keep what we agreed on. And unless there generally is a crisis, which I did feel like there was a crisis every week until recently, mm-hmm. but unless there's a real crisis, they would leave me alone. Right. So then I knew that 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 I was helping them maintain, for instance. Right. And so that's that's one way. The the other way is if if they're really suffering and there are systems available to them and there is help and I try to get them that help and I try to connect them and they won't follow through or they're yes butting me yes but is is a very common thing to give somebody a suggestion give a lending hand and it's yes but that's not going to work for me (laughs) right right and after a little bit of patience and a little bit of nudging, if they're still there, then I know I'm not helping them. Well, that's a beautiful example. I'm going to just drill down a little bit more on that and say, so what do you say specifically? So now person involved, you've said um, you should try this, this, and this in your life if you want to change. They say, um, yeah, I, the, it's great, Sydney. Thank you so much. You mm-hmm. talk to them next time. It's a broken record. I'm still doing, this is the Nobody can help me, so on and so forth. You don't really, and you don't understand. Right. Uh, But they still want to talk to you. What's your, is there a, what do you say then that say, I I don't think I can help anymore? How do you, how do you go from there? Right. Well, there's a lot of empathy, right? That, that you, that this is, our relationship doesn't seem to be helping. Mm -hmm right, that, that I'm, maybe I'm not the right person. And I think it's better if we find somebody else who can help you, basically. Mm. And then give them information and, and, and knock the sand off my sandals and get out of there, <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah. That because, would... because sometimes that can be a catalyst itself for them to pick up the phone and, and and move and get some help. Yes, the, I think uh, often the uh, maybe sometimes the conversation, the ongoing drama with you or you know the, the helper is what they are trapped in. They and they sort of got used to when that stops. It it forces them to e- even if they're going to keep working with you, it's going to be on a different term. So it would force a change. Um, but I could imagine they're still mad at time. You know, very could be very angry. For not getting what they want, but that's better than nothing than where they were before, because it because there's a lot of anger and energy, right? Yeah. So, so there's energy, so that might be a catalyst for change. Yeah, God willing, <laughs> right? Um, so you're a deeply spiritual person, um, and I know you've also studied not just um, Christianity, but you've also studied Eastern faith, Buddhism, and um, and have you've gone pretty deep into studying world religions. And I know in your trek, you show a lot of respect with the various faiths that you engage with. Do you see any spiritual strategies for developing boundaries? Are there spiritual, any spiritual thing that engages you in working on the physical world of boundaries? Um, 
I think I think I'm going to answer it in a roundabout way. So what I loved going to Nepal and being with the Nepalese people that I work with is that they have a their mind body spirits are connected. Mm -hmm. And that feels so different than over here where we have mind body splits and you go to church on Sunday, but then you don't think about it during the week. So, so one of the things I work on um, with people is trying to, trying to ha help them know what their bodies are doing and the message their bodies are giving them and stay in their bodily sensations. And that will often lead to spiritual things Right, but first they have to get in this country, people have to get into their bodies first. And that's really hard for, for a lot of people. And, and so this morning I had a session and, and this woman actually teaches, teaches trauma work and so on and so forth through yoga. And I, I wanted to shake her and I, I, you know, I said, you know, I had to say, look at me, you know, are you here? Right, you can tell when people are, are gone. So to me, that's, you know, back to the self-care. If I can keep my, my spiritual, intellectual and bodily self together, then I'm more effective. Does that, does that make sense? It does. It's does that really, answer your question? Yeah, it's very paradoxical because uh, it wouldn't be what I thought of, but it's very profound. You're saying, to engage one of the lessons of spirituality is that people have to be grounded in their incarnate body, physical self. And if they're not there, it's very hard. And if that's all disconnected, the mm -hmm. mind and the body, right. and they probably, many don't feel they have a spirit because that's what they've been taught in our culture. So it's just a, a mind body crisis. Um, you're just making them aware of, uh, of getting them back into their physical state. Like you just said, Hey, are you here? Are you even here with me in the in your physical state um, as a way of developing? That's really interesting, and it really is an interesting contrast, uh, which I experienced when I was working in um, Africa on the AIDS program. Was the um, how people were engaged spiritually, physically, and mentally uh, in a way that I don't that we don't right, hear. Right. It almost right. seems like a psychotropic drugs might be the bridge uh, that we're we're depending on here for for that. Um, one final question before we wrap up this fantastic discussion. Do you have any phrases or strategy, like any phrases that you use with people at the beginning of a relationship to set boundaries, you know, to, to make it clear that. Okay, sure, sure. And, and I, and I hope you'll be able to do this sometimes, right. With, with, with people coming to you through the church. So, you know, for my profession, I can, say, I can say this is, you know, we start on time and we end on time. And everything that you tell me is confidential unless, unless you're gonna hurt yourself or somebody else. And then I need to, to let people know. Those are basically the boundaries. But get, again, getting back to self-care, it's like when I'm sitting in a room with somebody and a lot of people are coming in too, right? They, they can feel that I mean what I'm saying, mm -hmm. right? And that they can feel my boundaries. So that helps them feel safe. 
So it's usually not an issue. D does that make sense? It does. It's actually, again, it's paradoxical, but very profound. You're sort of saying that when you create the appropriate container for the relationship, that's a boundary. And that, that actually helps them because it creates, a, there's a safety that's in right. that. But this is, right. we're going to begin and we're going to end. Here are the rules. And, and no, you can't call me you know, outside of these hours or you can't do this. Again, if it's an emergency and you're, you know, suicidal, that's a, you know, but here are the rules. And um, then I'm sure that people, uh, some people break them and most people probably don't. Most but people I think don't. Right? Most people don't, but, but by you setting the boundaries and the container up front, you're actually really helping the other person. And that's if you are more loosey goosey, like I'm always going to be here for you and you can do anything with me anytime and we'll go as long as it takes you're sending a message to the other person that you don't have boundaries and that actually could make them feel less safe. And mm -hmm. that's really interesting. Which is when they, they're gonna start to, could be dangerous or ask you for more or whatever, right? Yeah. Beautiful, thank you, Sydney. I'm gonna open it up for discussion after the service for anybody who wants to ask questions. So we'll do that, um, but thank you. That was our sermon today, our, our dialogue sermon, which we do every so often. So that was beautiful, Sydney. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Uh, I know I benefited from it and I'm sure others did as well. We'll have a discussion following this after the service. So thank you. You're welcome. At this time, we shift into, uh, we're gonna have our time of prayer. Before that, if you can, if you're, um, you can make a donation, we really appreciate it. It's gotten us through this year when a lot of churches have had to close. And so we've stayed alive. That's because people kept giving. So thank you for that. And um, if you can make a donation, you should have the link by now, but if you don't, we can put it into the chat. Um, a volunteer can put it into the chat room. And uh, I do appreciate your support. So thank you to all of you who've been doing that. When a move now toward a, a time of community prayer. And our style here is that if you have something that you'd like to lift up, you just say a, uh, a phrase about it. Um, you, don't, you don't have to tell us all about it, but just a phrase. And uh, the rest of us at home will be on mute, but we'll all say together, Lord, hear our prayer. I'll say it out loud for all of us. So if anybody has a prayer they'd like to lift up to the Lord at this time, uh, please, uh, you can unmute and say it now. David, did you have one? Yes, I'd uh, like to pray for all those who are lonely, who feel abandoned, uh, who think that the Lord has abandoned them, and uh, prayers for people looking uh, for jobs. They've been out of work for quite a bit. And special prayers for a very good friend of mine who is uh, suffering from a lot of medical problems. Lord, hear our prayer. <clears throat> Prayers for all who are victims of violence. Um, of any kind and for the violence in particular against Asians in this in the community in which I live against African Americans in nearby communities 
And as we remember the Holocaust, Holocaust Remembrance Day was on Thursday. Um, let us pay, acknowledge the fact that our own societies tend to reinforce violence and we have to constantly work against that. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us all pray. Lord, we ask that you guide us in the weeks and months and years to come in our life, that we can be compassionate and caring and loving. And we ask that you also give us the wisdom and the guidance for how best to do that. Build in us the marriage of love and wisdom. Let's be compassionate and do it in the smart way. Let us be wise and always use our wisdom in a compassionate way. Lord, we pray the way that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who have debts against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This time we blow out the candle, close the scriptures. And now let us have our benediction. And now may the peace that passes all understanding be with each of you this day and forevermore. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Spiritual Resilience Podcast with Reverend Rich Taffel. We invite you to reach out to us with your questions and comments, as well as proposed topics for discussion. Sending you love and light. Till next episode.